Each summer as I preach, I typically uh, have had a pattern of uh, during the summertime looking at a series that has to do with biblical characters. I enjoy preaching about Bible characters. And so we're going to do a series over the next few weeks uh, when I'm preaching for you uh, called Lessons from Bible Characters. And so today I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles if you have them and open to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, about the 8th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. If you don't, we'll have the scripture that I'll read out loud for you today. Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 26 and down to verse 39. Our text today, we'll read. The, 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 Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, the author there, the physician Luke, says these words, talking about Jesus and his disciples and their ministry. It says, They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fed on his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. This story of the demoniac that we read today is a story that maybe you don't know that well or haven't heard about that many times in your, in your life, but it's a story that's important, important enough that it's included in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. As we look at the Gospel accounts, Matthew calls this region Gadara, hence the name that we would, some of us would remember as the Gadarene demoniac. Mark and Luke refer to it as the region of the Gerasenes. The idea is that it's the same general area, 
almost like when I'm telling an out-of-towner um, uh, that I go out of state and I'm visiting someone and they say, where are you from? I don't usually say Noonan, Georgia, because that has a lot of explaining. Well, where is Noonan and uh, how, how far, where is that and so forth? I usually say, I'm from Atlanta. And you, if you've lived here in Atlanta a while, you know what that means. Metro Atlanta uh, used to be what? From East Point to maybe Buckhead, and now it's what? Metro Atlanta is all the way down to south of here to Hogesville and all the way up almost to Cartersville or Calhoun. It's just big. It just grows and expands. And this is much a similar type of thing here today, identifying a region there near the Sea of Galilee, same general area. Matthew's account speaks of two demon-possessed people, but Mark and Luke choose to focus on the one that was most prominent, the one who apparently was vocal and most prominent. And so today, we look at Luke's account, and we remember that Jesus' ministry is in full swing right now. He's preaching to great crowds of people, and they're listening to him. He's healing the sick in body and soul. And when he's finished healing, there's always more to do. There's always people around. Well, inevitably, that has taken its toll on the Lord Jesus, who was human and yet divine, and he got tired just like we do, just like you do and I do. He was exhausted and with his disciples decided to go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And as they made their way, we remember that great story of Jesus falling asleep in the back of the boat. And we remember his exhaustion. He had to be so tired to fall asleep like that. But he was awakened. He was awakened when a sudden and severe storm started tipping the boat around. Jesus was resting, but he was awakened by those disciples who were shaking him, saying, Lord, Lord, save us, save us. We remember that story. Even these experienced fishermen, seamen, were scared of this storm that was there on that sea that evening. And they were afraid so much that they felt compelled to wake Jesus and ask him to do something to save them. And we know what he did. He woke up and he said those famous words, peace, be still. And the waves immediately calmed. He muzzled that storm. And then later on in that evening, these disciples and Jesus would most likely make landfall there in the land of the Gadarenes. Most likely late at night, with the nerves of the disciples already worn thin by that terrifying storm that they'd been in, we can only imagine you know what it's like after a storm and so forth and, and how things are still taking a little while to, to calm down. And, and you can imagine at night and you can imagine through all they've been through this eerie scene as they pull up on this bank and land there in that region. If this trip had been designed to give them some rest and relaxation, it was a failure. It was a failure. Because immediately, immediately the scripture says that Jesus was confronted by a man who was demon-possessed. 
A lot of people today, when they look at the Bible and it's talking about demon possession, well, they say, well, that really wasn't demon possession. That was just something that they didn't know about, that they called it that. They were just ignorant folks. But you know what? Folks in the ancient world were not as ignorant as we think they were. Only look at the great, great marvels of construction and science and understanding that we find more and more about every day in ancient cultures to find out these folks were as sophisticated as we are. They may not have had all the modern technology we have, but they knew the difference between a physical illness, a mental sickness, and someone who had been possessed by demons. And in the New Testament, Demon possession is distinguished from things like insanity and leprosy and blindness and lameness and deafness and other natural sicknesses and maladies. And we remember, we remember that the person writing this gospel is Luke. And he's a physician. And yet he calls the man someone who was possessed. When someone was possessed, it was evident by the things that we saw, them talking and crying out, possessing knowledge about Jesus and others that they wouldn't have as a normal human being, other supernatural knowledge, all these different kind of things. And this man who was demon-possessed, we don't know why he was, we don't know how it had happened, we don't know whether he'd been looking for it and inviting it by worshiping pagan demonic spirits we don't know we just know what was and the man was no longer even able to live at his home his violent nature no it made him not fit to be around other people friends or family he was just too dangerous he was just too unpredictable no longer living in his home he was taking up residence in a cemetery now imagine that a cemetery, this wild, crazy man lived in a graveyard, surrounded by the dead, comfortable in darkness. He spent his days in isolation. You can imagine that. He wouldn't be welcomed into somebody's house. He'd be shunned. He'd be feared. There were times, apparently, when others had tried to capture him and subdue him, to imprison him. No doubt, they wanted to make their community safe just as you and I would, and maybe to keep him safe from damage he might do to himself. But the scripture tells us that when they chained him, he broke the chains. So they got bigger chains. He broke those too. They handcuffed him. He broke those shackles. They could not, could not subdue him. What a wild man. It makes you think about the Incredible Hulk or something like that. Somebody they just could not subdue, freed from any restraints. He wandered around. What a scary picture it would be. And then can you imagine sailing up there, landing on that shore, and it's kind of nighttime, and that rascal running up to you. Can you imagine that? That's the way it was when Jesus landed and his disciples disembarked. When Jesus was still at a distance, the demoniac, this crazy wild man, this person that nobody could subdue, no telling what kind of things he said, no telling what kind of reputation preceded him. Certainly he had one. 
People would have heard about him. He comes running up to Jesus. Can you imagine the disciples saying, I think I'm getting back in the boat, okay? But he comes running toward Jesus. Jesus, what did he do? He didn't tell his disciples to get out their swords and develop a circle around him to protect him, a protective barrier. No, Jesus stood his ground. Jesus stood his ground. And amazingly, rather than attacking the Savior, as he would have other people, that demoniac, that garrison, gathering demoniac, called out and shouted out a plea for mercy. At the top of his voice, he says, what do you want with me? Son of the Most High God, a reference to deity, divinity. He says, please, say you're not going to torture me. You know, it's always been amazing and interesting to us when we think about Jesus and his earthly ministry that the forces of evil and darkness recognized him, didn't they? They recognized him. Now, they were, they were submissive to him, ultimately, as Lord, but they recognized him a lot of times more accurately than his own people did. They knew he was Lord when others didn't who had been around him. After Jesus' crucifixion, he'd given his life to redeem us all. The disciples went and what? Locked themselves away in fear. As far as they were concerned, Jesus' story had, had, had perhaps been written in the last chapter concluded. They knew he had talked about rising from the dead, but they still doubted and wondered, just as we would in our humanity. <laughs> but on the other hand, what were the opponents doing? The Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, remembered that Jesus had said he was rising from the dead. So what did they do? They said, let's go get a guard and put it on that tomb. And let's get a seal put on that tomb. Amazing. The opponents were worried about it. Had a little bit more faith that was going to happen than even the disciples at that point. And three days later when Jesus did rise and show to everyone that he was Lord of all. These Jewish rulers, these Jewish rulers, they didn't blink an eye. The disciples had a terribly tough time believing Jesus was alive, but the Jewish rulers sprung into action to concoct stories to, to cover what had happened. And as you look through the rabbinical writings of the time and so forth that talk about the empty tomb and things like that, there's a recognition that something happened there. Oh, yes, they try to denigrate Jesus as to who he was, but there's a recognition that something happened. You know, when we're talking about the demoniac recognizing Jesus as God's son, we're not surprised that it happened back then. Yes, he knew who Jesus was. He had an insight. But you know what? It's amazing as we think about the way that the early disciples maybe didn't know as much about that as they should have or didn't have as much faith about that as they should have. But even today, even today, it's amazing to us how evil wants to oppose Jesus. You know, where Jesus would go and there'd be demon possession, it seemed like a prevalence of it around there. And it was almost like an attempt to keep the gospel from going. And those of you who have known 
our, our sister Martha Wade in Papua New Guinea who's ministered there for so many years, she can talk to you about the reality of demon possession and evil. And she can talk to you about sensing it and feeling it and, and, and just the, the, the overwhelming sense of it. And she can talk to you about how when the gospel goes in and when the gospel is preached and when the gospel is embraced, how that recedes. And we've heard stories upon stories about that throughout the world. Why is it that evil, evil, so vehemently opposes Jesus Christ? We see it in our secular society today, don't you? Don't I? Every time we turn on the radio or, or listen to the radio or turn on the TV, we see almost an animus, a, a, a vitriol, a, 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 a hatred for anything associated with Christianity and, and, and e even in the face of all the wonderful and good things and benevolent things that, that Christians do for the world, still, if, if, if there's something connected to Christianity, it's almost like we're not going to give that credibility because it's connected to someone that we don't agree with, someone who says, I'm Lord of all, Lord of all. The demoniac said, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Now, he knew he wasn't going to be saved. He knew that his fate was already sealed with all those who had rebelled against God, those fallen angels and demons and so forth. But he says, listen, not right now. No torture right now. Give me a little break, little break. He probably viewed Jesus' arrival in his place as a direct attack on him, that Jesus had premeditated to come there and extinguish him and get rid of him, which is why maybe he said what he said. Jesus cast out those spirits. The story we remember about Jesus casting out those spirits and, and, and he, 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 he permits them. He doesn't command them, but he permits them to go into that field of, of, of hogs. And some say that it may have been as many as 2,000 and when the demon says about who he is and his name, what does he say? I'm legion. Well, what was legion? That was a Roman, Roman army distinction, which could be 2,000 to 5,000 people. So maybe there's a connection there. And we know the story as this dramatic story unfolds. And as they, they leave this man, this crazy, wretched man, and they go into these demons, and we know what happens as they go, and they're in such confusion, and they go and go into drown in the sea. Drown into the sea. When we look at Jesus today and the kind of Savior he was, when we look and see how that man responded to Jesus after he had been healed of those demons, we see a Jesus who was such a well-rounded man, a person that people want to follow, all too often, people, especially men, think of Jesus as just somebody gentle, meek, and mild, and maybe he's not somebody that's that appealing to me. But you know what? This same Jesus, who was meek and mild and could carry little children and ask them to crawl up on his lap and they would do it, he was also the powerful man, Jesus, strong man, who could face off with this demoniac who had scared everyone, he could say, come out of him. 
with no fear. Jesus could speak all kinds of word of peace, but he could also talk to a storm and tell it to stop and calm down. And when we think about this and what happened, the residents, curiously enough, wanted Jesus to leave. And they often wonder about that. Some people wonder about, well, you know, why were there pigs there? These were Jews. Jews don't eat pigs, you know. But in that region, that region was dominated by Gentiles and by Greek cities and so forth. So it was a predominantly Gentile area. So that's why there were people with herds of hogs there. And when we think about why in the world they wanted him to leave and so forth, these people who were Greek-oriented had this sense of demons and gods and spiritual beings, but they didn't look at them as benevolent at all. And when Jesus came into town and Jesus did that, they'd been scared of this guy that they couldn't keep and bind, and here comes somebody stronger than that guy. And in suspicion, they say, we want nothing to do with this guy. Let's get him out of town too because no, no telling what he might do to us. He's stronger than anybody we've ever seen. And yet this strong man has compassion on these folks, has compassion on these folks that's seen in his admonishment for the demonic man to, to stay with his folks and to tell them the good news of what has happened. So as we look at the garrison, the Gadarene demoniac today, like the story, A Calm in the Sea, and many other stories, we're talking about someone, Jesus, who could calm a sea and who could tame the worst of the strong men of the devil. The worst of the strong men of the devil. He could tame them. He could cast out those demons. In our life, when we think about the application of this story and what we can glean from it, is to remember that Christ is Lord of all. Lord of all. And that there's nothing in this life, no problem that we have, no malady that we have, that is not subject to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what lines up against us right now, the anxieties of life, the things that we struggle with, we all struggle with things. And our adversary, the evil one, knows our struggles and tries to make it difficult for us. But we know today that the same Jesus who conquered this Gadarene, Gesserine demoniac is the same Jesus who gives us the power because he lives in our hearts today to overcome whatever it is that we face and we can take comfort today in knowing that. But another lesson we can learn from this story today is this. The demoniac simply went back to his people. And oh, what a story he had to tell. What a story he had to tell. Amazing. We don't know anything about him beyond this point. But we do know that the gospel grew and flourished in that area ultimately. And I'll bet it was traced back to the voice of one fella who used to be chained, broke those chains. One fella who was scared. Everybody was scared of him. And he was scared of, 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 of what Jesus was going to do. But Jesus came along not to condemn him or cast him out, but to cast out those demons, to give him his freedom back. And oh, what a story he had to tell. 
So today, as we conclude this message, we remember that just as that garrison demoniac faced enormous odds and struggles, we do too in life, but the same Jesus who was there for him is there for us. And just as the demoniac went out to tell others what had happened, the most powerful thing we can do when we tell people about Jesus Christ is tell them, look what God has done for me. That resonates more than anything, any message we can say. We're going to sing a song of commitment today, a song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Just like that demoniac, cast out, the demon's gone, we don't even know his name, but he went on to follow Jesus. And Jesus calls you today to follow him. If you don't know him, we invite you to come.